I want to talk about, yeah, from the book of James. But first I want to ask you a question. Um, every day, all of us have, a, have loads of decisions that we make. You know, this morning when you got up, you've made loads of decisions, haven't you? How you got here, maybe what clothes to put on, um, what, what cup to use for your cup of tea. Who has a preferred cup in the morning? Come on. I know we do. I think about those things in the morning. What's my preferred cup for my cup of tea? Large is the basic premise for it. It needs to be a big cup. I hate it when you go to these places, these hotels. There was that one recently. And, and the cups were like my morning cup of coffee and tea. We're like these piddly things. I needed at least two or three of them. And then you sort of got the tea bag because only two. Anyway, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. <laughs> If you've got a bed or breakfast, I am. If you've got a bed or breakfast or something like that, make sure you've got big cups in the morning. But anyway, decisions. We all make decisions, and some of them are, are menial, aren't they? Like that. Does it really matter what cup you use in the morning? Um, some of them are, of course, way more important. And I just want you to take just one moment and just think about a decision that you have to make in your life right now. That to you is not menial, it's not one of these kind of doesn't really make too much difference, it's not what colour wallpaper I might have, or even that's important, I realise. <laughs> but actually, as a decision in your life, I'd imagine in this room there will be a huge breadth of different decisions that you have to make in your life right now. Things like relationships, our finance, maybe deciding here about a gift day. Well, crumbs, how do I decide what to give? How do I do that? Maybe in family, maybe in your in parenting, if you're a parent, in wisdom, in your workplace. How we just live in this ever-expanding world, you know, particularly around, like, I've been thinking about technology recently and just how fast that's expanding. And how do you... Well, you can't keep up with like, the growth of artificial intelligence and the impact that is having on your life right now, whether you know it or not, it is, and it will continue to go at a rapid rate. How do you handle all of that? I've been thinking about the impact of that, and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to grow older. My kids are growing up in this world. I want to know how do I equip them to live in this world? You know, I did a little bit of research into what's out there now, and there's various things, isn't there, in terms of... I just think about advertising. I've been learning about advertising in the future. Chances are it will be targeted advertising, and it might get to the point where it's so targeted, it will literally create an advert for you personally, because it will know you so well. It will know how long you look at a screen, what parts of the screen you look at, what appeals to you most, what will draw you in most. Literally that kind of advertising. We're experiencing a bit of it in a minute, but not quite where it's going to go. Well, that raises the question for me about temptation. It's huge. It's just kind of upping the ante. It's like temptation on steroids in terms of consumerism. And so we've got to know how to handle these things. Well, how would you handle it if you're talking with someone, maybe in discipleship, and they say to you, well, do you know what? One of my greatest comforts at the minute, my go-to person for advice, for comfort, for wisdom, is a chatbot, like Replica. 10 million users. People saying, that, hey, hey I'm, I'm, I, I've received comfort. 24-7, this person is there for me. All Replica is an exact representation of you. It takes all of you, uploads it, and then talks back to you. I mean, wow. 
It's, it's the ultimate mirror kind of thing, isn't it? But this is out there now. And, and so it's just how do, we, how do we handle this and what would, how do we walk in it? Well, the one thing I know is I don't know what you're going to face in the future. I don't know what decisions that you have to make. But the one thing I do know is you are going to need wisdom. That I can say categorically. You need wisdom to navigate those decisions. This next generation are going to need wisdom to navigate all the different things that they are going to face if we want to walk well in this world. And wisdom is the skillful application of what we know. And I'm sure you've heard the little statement, but it's, it's probably overused and overstated and a bit of a cliche, but I think it does capture it well that knowledge is knowing tomato is a fruit and wisdom is... Not putting it in a fruit salad, exactly. <laughs> it helps us distinguish between information, knowledge and what wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of what we know into the lives of others. Ultimately, I think that God's wisdom is for the flourishing and benefit of other people. And therefore, we need wisdom to know how to apply what we know. And where we get it from then really matters. It shapes the way that we walk in the world. Knowing whether I've got God's wisdom or not, or whether I'm walking or not, shapes the way that I respond when I'm tired and a bit grouchy, maybe, to my wife. What does wisdom look like in that? It's very practical, everyday, very earthy. Which is why I love the book of James as well, because James, in his writing, is very much like that. Very down to earth. He's writing to a community that are not maybe very healthy at the minute. They're speaking angry words, there's arrogant boasting, there's envying, there's favouritism. And his concern for this community, this church community, is for their health, for their maturity. And so he speaks into all sorts of different things, often drawing from the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. It's likely the brother of Jesus wrote this, and maybe from Proverbs as well. And he knows he can't solve everything for them, and he tries to bring God's wisdom onto different situations like our speech and anger and so on. But then he unpacks what godly wisdom looks like. And there's a Proverbs 24, verse 3 to 4. If you put the next slide up and gee, leave that up for a little while. There we go. There's a blueprint there. Just, you know, a blueprint. It's obviously Nigel's closely following them for the building, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and um, from James here, that's the, I'll read that verse out in a minute. But it says, by wisdom a house is built. By understanding is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all rare and beautiful treasures. I love that phrase, by wisdom a house is built. Nigel, you need God's wisdom. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But also in terms of the church, the Bible describes the church as the household of God. And if we're going to build church in the way that God wants it, boy do we need God's wisdom in the way that we do that. And I know you know this. But I just want to remind us of it. And so I'm going to read James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. So if you've got a Bible, open it, have a look at it, read it through with me. And uh, always good to, I'm sure you know, bring your Bible, open it up, read things through, follow things through. It says this, chapter 3, verse 13, book of James, New Testament if you're new to the Bible. And um, it says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Well, let them show it by their good behaviour and deeds, in the gentleness of of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, 
It's gentle, it's reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, it's without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So the first question James asks here is, who among you is wise and understanding? Good question. Why is he asking you? Maybe it's because there are some who just think they're really wise. They're like, do you know what? With the bees and ease in wisdom. We've got it all. We understand everything. We've got knowledge. Maybe they're puffed up and they're full of pride from being wise. And that might be the most likely reason why he says it in the context of this letter. But also, I think it then. The second sort of aspect of the question in terms of well, who among you, it makes me think, well, actually, yeah. Do we want churches filled with people who we'd say, full of people with wisdom? Yeah, yeah, good, that's really good. I'm pleased. <laughs> so I think it's an invitation to us to consider. Now, note here, it's not who's the most intelligent. It's not who's got the most... I was going to say O-levels. Who remembers O-levels? Okay. Um, what are they, GCSEs now? Is that right? Um, or A-levels, or degrees, or PhDs. It's not who's got the most general knowledge, which I'm glad at when it comes to a quiz, because we lost badly in one recently. It's not any of these things. It's not even saying those who kind of look wise. I can't grow a proper beard. But I figure with a beard you can stroke it and kind of look wise and take your glasses off and stroke your beard. My mate Marcus in Norwich has both a beard and glasses and can kind of, you know, do that. But it's not about looking wise. He's very wise, by the way. It's not about looking wise or, or just saying things that seem wise. In fact, it says here, it's seen. There's evidence of it. And it says here, we just read it out, in their good behaviour and deeds in the gentleness of humility of wisdom. It's seen. Good behaviour, deeds, in the gentleness and the, or the humility it could be there of wisdom. You, you, you just know it when you're in the presence of someone who has, has grown in what godly wisdom looks like. But before we get to look at what godly wisdom looks like, James first makes a contrast in verse 14 to 16 we just read out. Where he said, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, so lie against the truth. It talks about wisdom, that which comes down from above, but is earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. And then talks about jealousy and selfish ambition, where that exists, there's disorder. There's a source of this kind of false wisdom, this pseudo-wisdom, but it's not from above, it's in contrast. It's been said that you know, contrast is the mother of clarity, when you contrast things. You often get greater clarity on something, which is why you display diamonds on a black bit of cloth. Because the contrast, you see the clarity between those two things. And James is kind of doing that here. And the first words he uses, that this, this, this wisdom that is not from above, he says it's earthly, it's natural, it's unspiritual. It kind of shuts God out from the picture. It's a kind of wisdom that would say that human beings are, well, we're the ultimate in the world. We are the pinnacle of everything. As, as it were, in terms of reason and rationality and intelligence and so on, and therefore it's just down to us. And so it's a wisdom that is kind of grounded in earthly. It shuts God out. There's nothing more than us. We are the ultimate source of wisdom. But then he takes a step further, doesn't he? He goes and says that, well, it's demonic. That's what he says. 
He's mentioned that a couple of times already. I mean, in 2.19, he talks about how the demons believe and shudder. And chapter 4, verse 7 as well, he talks about resist the devil. So James has no problem with saying, hey, there are, there's a reality of spiritual forces that, that, are, that are unseen in this world. Um, now, I don't know what you think to that, um, whether you think that's real or not. Um, and if you're not a Christian here today, maybe you think, oh, just, well, what are you talking about? Evil forces, is that really a real thing and all the rest of it? One thing I find fascinating about our culture, though, is that if you look at the films people watch, our culture does seem fascinated with this kind of stuff. Um, and people are into the occult and all sorts of other things. I think that, I've got to ask that question, well, why? But James has no problem with it. Jesus had no problem with it. He talks about being tempted by the devil, resisting the devil, and so on and so forth. And I haven't got time to go into it now. But James is saying this wisdom, its source is not God. It's demonic, it's evil. And then he talks about the, the character of this wisdom as well, this wisdom that twists truth to kind of appear wise. In one sense, that's kind of what Satan does. The character of this false wisdom, he says, is jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition. And clearly some people are struggling with this in the community. If we think we're immune to these things, well, the, the early church wasn't. And if you read in chapter 4, he asks another question. He says, what is the source of your quarrels and conflicts? Again, another good question. What do questions do? They do lots of things, but one of the things they do, they make us think. So to pause and ponder on that. Who's ever quarrelled or had a conflict? How many? Of course, all of us. Right? What's the source of it? Not a bad question to ask. What's driving that? And James asks this. He says, is it not the source of your pleasures? He answers, the wage war in your members. You lust, you don't have. It's kind of selfish ambition. You're envious, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. He starts to unpack some of the things that might be behind their quarrelling and so on. But he says the character of this is this envy and selfish ambition. One person put it this way. They said, envy is the desire for what another have, has that we don't have. Envy is the desire for what another has that we don't have. Envy grasps another person's material possessions or personal status. They want what they've got. Their position, their popularity, whatever it might be. And selfish ambition kind of plays into this, seeking our own popularity, our own power, our own glory. It seems to me that what was, that's what was kind of going on. And no doubt James was aware of this desire that goes on in the human heart. For the, you know, I think that social media is one of those um, things that historians will look back on and say, wow, this gave us a view into the human heart like nothing else. And people's desire for likes and followers and clicks and all the rest of it. Because it, they know what they're doing, these people. You know, they've got psychologists who sit behind it. They know the effects that these things have on human beings. They know the algorithms and all the rest of it that will hook us into these things. Because we're drawn to these things. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be popular. But it can tip into a healthy Way. And there's something going on here, this unhealthy rivalry that is going on. And I said James was probably, you know, Jesus' brother, aware of the, the, where the disciples were in the upper room. Wasn't there himself, but probably aware when they were boasting about themselves and having an argument, having a quarrel over who was the greatest. 
I would love to have heard that conversation and been a fly on the wall. How would it have gone? At what point did they not think in that conversation? Hmm. You know, we're both, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? In front of, you know, it's like, I just... But they did, and, and you think, well, actually, what's in my heart? But Jesus just, as, as they're kind of blowing this balloon up of who's the greatest, who's the greatest, Jesus just takes a ruddy great pin and bursts their balloon, doesn't he? <laughs> he says, let me tell you about who's the greatest. It's the one who serves. It's the one who will put an apron on or get down on the floor and wash your cruddy feet. That's the greatest, the one who serves. I love it. Jesus turns it on its head. Not this selfish ambition. But that was the character of this false wisdom. Jealousy, envy, selfish ambition. And then the result of it was disorder and every evil thing. Uh, I've got to be honest, sometimes I read the Bible and I think, is he overstating it? Disorder and every evil thing. Is that overstating it? You know, okay, there might be an odd quarrel. Yeah, it might cause a bit of fractiousness in relationships, but disorder and every evil thing. Is he overstating it? I don't think so. When you think about kind of what's at the source of our conflicts, both on a microcosm within, say, a family, a marriage, siblings, arguing, conflict, someone hasn't got something they want or whatever and haven't got their way, and you just escalate that into a community, into a city, into a nation, into nations. And you see actually envy and all these kind of things and uh, selfish ambition. I wonder how much they're at the heart of much of the conflict that we see in the world today. I've not done some massive study on it, I'm just saying. I think that you could probably trace a lot of these things back to these kinds of things. So that's the contrast, wisdom that is not from God. And then he comes to the blueprint, the source of God's wisdom. And um, in, uh, he says that it is, let's read that again, shall we? But the wisdom from above first is then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It starts with God. It is from above. And this is the point. It's a source higher than us. In Colossians 2, chapter 3, worth meditating on this at some point, not now, but later on. In Christ, Paul writes, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Douglas Moo, one commentator, says, Christ is the one in whom is to be found all that one needs in order to understand spiritual reality and lead a life pleasing to God. Christ is the one in whom to be found all that one needs to live a life that is pleasing to God, that is loving of God and loving of others. Wisdom begins with him. Now again, some would say, well that's data, I don't think you trust God for wisdom, trust human beings, we've got it all in ourselves if we just kind of, kind of work it out. I don't want to oversimplify that. But some will say that's just kind of foolish. Well actually the Bible kind of agrees as well in terms of the foolishness of God's wisdom. When you read in 1 Corinthians, it says there, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25, I'm not going to go into detail now, but it says basically God's wisdom is ultimately seen and found in the most unlikely place, that the Jews is a stumbling block, Gentiles, the non-Jews, are basically saying it's just foolish. And as Paul went into Corinth to preach this Christ crucified, who he says Christ is the wisdom of God, 
He went in and said, well, of course people are going to say it's foolish. Because you're saying that is where everything is, that wisdom is located in Jesus, in what he's done for us, that it reveals the deepest truth about God. You know, it really is a laughable message when Paul was going into Corinth. It really is something that, that is so unbelievably unlikely. That is, you want to know what God is like? You want to know what the ultimate revelation of God is? Who he is? It's Christ, and it's Christ on that cross. Christ, the wisdom of God. And I think it's important when it comes to wisdom to start with Christ crucified for ourselves. The one thing I'm convinced of is that if we're going to walk God's way, and therefore walk in God's wisdom, you can't avoid the cross. If the cross, Christ crucified, is the wisdom of God, well then, walking in God's wisdom will we mean going the way of the cross. Yeah? And Jesus said to take up the cross and follow him. It's a part of discipleship. So all I know is this, is that if whatever we're facing or whatever we're walking in, part of it, all of it in some ways, will be the way of the cross. How I live, how I walk through this. What does it look like? What does the cross say in the way I handle this? And if we avoid the cross, I think I'd go as far as saying we're avoiding God's wisdom. For whatever we're facing in our lives, I wasn't going to share this, but I'll say it, but I can remember when some of you will know, my, my, my daughter Beth, she became pregnant 16 and a half years old. We got a letter on our pillow and we read it. You're like, man, legs taken out from under you. I'm a church leader. All sorts of thoughts going through your head. By the way, she's doing great. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Um, incredible story of God's grace. But I remember going out for a walk that night and down our street there's a building with um, a church building and it's got an illuminated cross on it and um, I, I wouldn't normally have a lumin- I wouldn't <laughs> put an illuminated cross up personally anywhere but I was so glad for this one there at that moment because I just walked as I walked towards it and saw it I just thought I haven't got a clue how to handle this I don't know how we're going to walk through this but I know that I've got to walk the way of the cross in it I know that for God's wisdom and it's really important to have that front and central as we look at God's word. Have I arrived for time? I've got a little bit. Yeah. I'm not going to too much depth on this, but um, just look at the character of that wisdom then, because it comes out following what it looks like, what Jesus looks like. If we can put the next slide up, that'd be great. There's the blueprint of God's wisdom there, all these different things. And like I said, talk about these in your life groups, talk about these things. You know, the Bible says, isn't it, we're meant to talk about this stuff when we walk down the street, we're having a coffee. Chew this stuff over with one another. But I found this so helpful to think this way. Every time I have a decision to make, I come back to James chapter 3 and a blueprint of God's wisdom. It's like, put that over your decision. And ask yourself, does it carry these characteristics in the decision that you're making? Because if it's going to reflect God's wisdom, then it will. And so the first one here is pure. Everything kind of flows from here. This is kind of saying like uh, holiness. It's the same word for holy here. It's saying that that that's our starting point. There's a, a fear of God in this. There's a no tugs of loyalty anywhere else. A little phrase I live with is this. 
the wisdom of God will not come from fear of results, responses, reactions, or risk. The wisdom of God won't come from fear of any of those things. How will someone respond? What will they do? What will happen if? Da, 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 da. Fear, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. It's pure. The second thing is peaceable. This is kind of an opposite to sort of striving and, I don't know, combative in its kind of nature or whatever. There's a peaceability about it. There's something um, that, is, that isn't forceful in it. That's kind of the opposite to that. The third thing we read is gentle. There's two words in the New Testament that are generally translated gentleness. Um, and just in a way of capturing all of their meanings together, it's this. This is what the wisdom of God looks like. Humble, kind, gracious, tolerant, tender-hearted, considerate, generous. And so when I'm making a decision on something, I'm asking myself, are, are these things there? Is there humility in me? Is there kindness being expressed? Is there graciousness being expressed? Am I being tolerant in the true meaning when actually it is to, when you're in disagreement with someone about something really, bearing with one another in love? Am I doing that? Because that's a display of God's wisdom. Am I being tender-hearted? Am I being considerate? This takes us to the fourth one, this word reasonable. It's kind of God's wisdom, a wise person, will be, you'll be able to reason with them. They're not being unreasonable. <laughs> I know what I'm like when I'm being unwise. I'm probably being unreasonable. Whereas God's wisdom here, it's, un, it's reasonable. It doesn't mean compromising on, on things that we hold dear. But there's just that sort of conciliatory nature sometimes in people I meet who are really wise, I think, ah, oh, the way you're holding your view, even though you're holding it strongly, there is a real graciousness and humility about it. There's something beautiful in that. And you can reason with them, even if they don't agree. It doesn't feel, again, combative. I think that's an important one. It's merciful. James, in chapter 2, has defined what mercy is. He says, it's love for neighbour shown in action. That's what mercy looks like. It's merciful. And that's what God is like with us, isn't it? We've received mercy. It's unwavering, it's undivided, it's loyal, it's not compromising, it's sincere. That means without hypocrisy, it's not two-faced. It's kind of this sense that God's wisdom is just straightforward. Someone, they're just telling it how it is. They're not sort of, okay, they're being straightforward, but full of grace and humility. Not straightforward like a punch on the nose. It's not that, it's just, they're being straight with you about how they really feel. And the Bible says that as we lean into this kind of wisdom, and as we unpack it a bit more, like I said, I'd really encourage you to talk through this stuff, then there's a good result of it as well. It says in verse 18, the seed whose fruit is righteousness, when the righteousness here I think is meaning conduct that is pleasing to God, not God's righteousness to us, but our right, uh, acting in a righteous way, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Like I said at the beginning, James is concerned with the church because there's quarrelling, there's anger, there's out of turn speech, there's putting one another down, there's all sorts of things going on. And James is concerned with a lack of peace in the church. And so he says to them, hey, apply this. Put this blueprint over all of your decisions, over all of your conversations, over all the things, and ask for God's wisdom in it. And God's promise is... What? When we ask for wisdom, he'll do what? 
James has said it in chapter 1. If anyone needs wisdom, they're to ask for it. It will result in healthier churches. So how do we keep growing in it? Well, just a few things just to land on, really. One is listen well and learn from others. You know, I'm so grateful for the wisdom of other people. I really am. Massively grateful for it. And I would say just find people around you that you look to, glean from them what wisdom looks like. Put it into practice. Learn from your mistakes. When we, when we sort of do fail, when we do get it wrong, don't beat yourself up about it. Live in the good of, goodness of God's grace for you and his mercy to you. You know, even in Psalm 51 where David has failed, he's committed adultery, murder and all sorts of stuff. And, um, and then he prays in that psalm, I think, Psalm 51 verse 6, for God to give him wisdom. It's good to pray when we do mess up in that way. So learn from our mistakes. Remember, God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. It's a good job. And then commit to the long haul in wisdom as well. <laughs> it takes time. You can't Google wisdom. You, you, you can't chatbot, you can't chat GPT wisdom. You know, of course you can stick it in. What's wisdom and what should I do in this situation? You'll get some stuff out pretty sharpish. And, but it's not really wisdom. <laughs> It's not wisdom. You can't Google it. It's not instant. It comes from leaning into God, from following Jesus over the long haul and practicing it, putting it into practice in all that we do. But I, I know your church is full of wise people. It really is. So keep learning from them. Keep growing in it, though, as you go forward together into this next season, as you move buildings, all that God's got for you in the future. I don't know what God's got ahead for you, but I know you're going to need a shed load of this. <laughs> So shall we stand? And um, I'd love to pray. So, yeah, Joy and the band, I don't know if you've got a song, if you've got time for that or not. I don't know if I've got other slides, so apologies if I have. Um, but yeah, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom. Any of us? Yeah. yeah, right, I'm there. Ask. So let's do it. I'm going to pray. <clears throat> but why don't um, you do your own asking? for the wisdom that you might need. Yeah? I'll pray, but you do some asking. All right, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is it's living, it's active. And Lord, we can feel dead as a dodo, but Lord, your word is alive and it's spirit. And it, it says that as it goes out, it will produce fruit. And Lord, we want the fruit of wisdom to be evident in our lives, not just individually, but together as a church community as well. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord. I pray, God, where we lack wisdom, where we don't know what to do, maybe in those things I said at the beginning, maybe things we're facing personally. Lord, I pray that you give wisdom, Lord. You give godly wisdom to know what decision to make that would result in peace and good fruit, Lord, going forward. I really pray for grace in that. I know how hard it is sometimes with certain decisions. It's so difficult. just can't see the way through. I just pray, Lord, and wisdom from others as well. We, you know, we, we wage war. We go ahead and make decisions by the consultation with others. That's part of godly wisdom. I pray for those who really need wisdom in difficult situations to find it. Lord, in you, thank you. And together for this church as well. Lord, for all you've got planned for them in the future, I just pray that they be known as a church that's full of wisdom, full of wise men and women, godly men and women maturing in Christ, who are growing and keeping growing in wonderful wisdom.
and passing it on to the next generation as well. Lord, grace them for that in your precious name. Amen.